Hello and welcome back. This is Kaylin, and you're listening to From the Valley, a podcast about Christ, community, and cultivating our lives. Today, we're talking about all things conflict and unity within the church. Over the last few years, there's been so much division in all of our lives. It seems like it's inundated our workplaces, our friend groups, our families, and yes, our churches. So how do Christians come back together in unity? Today, episode two, the next big fight with special guest, Pastor Justin Morris. Well, hello, Pastor Justin. Hey. Thank you for coming in to to talk with me, and you are our second guest. So Tom set the bar pretty high. We'll see if you can live up to that standard. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Um, So I'd really love to start. If you could tell us who you are and what you do specifically here at Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church. Sure. Uh, So my name is Justin Morrison. I have been the youth pastor here at Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church for, oh, uh, seven, yeah, 17 years now. And yeah, I guess I, I came up, I started attending the church in 1999. Uh, I came up here after graduating in BC and then moved up here and visited this church because I knew the youth pastor here at the time and met a girl and decided to stick around. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that was in 29, or 2000, no. 2005, they asked me to join on staff. The senior pastor and the interim youth pastor at the time asked me to fill in until they hired a youth pastor. And so I was like, oh, sure, I can fill in. I'm helping with youth anyway. And that was 17 years ago, and I'm still here. So 2022, yeah, here you are. And that senior pastor left. Tom came in, and I don't know if he just forgot to hire a youth pastor or not. But <laughs> I'm still here. So You just haven't told him yet? Yeah. You I haven't think, told him you were intern? I and... think the notes, he didn't go back and read the minutes from the meetings or something. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Uh, so, so yeah, I started in 2005 on staff and then, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Super Actually, cool. I was just, somebody just mentioned in the, <laughs> just a few minutes ago, like, they're like, you've been here a long time compared to like, like the average lifespan of a youth pastor. And like, it really, like when I started, youth pastors only did their thing for about two to two to four years, maybe. Oh before a turnover and that was just sort of the norm and and uh, youth youth ministry is kind of one of these jobs that chews people up and spits them out and and the youth pastor at the time when I showed up was here for six years and that was very abnormal at the time so it was uh yeah so I was kind of I'm in that generation of youth pastors that are trying to stick around and actually like have some longevity I didn't know that I guess it makes sense I'd heard that youth pastors tend to I don't know it's almost put forward like the starting point, right? Like if totally. you're going to be a pastor to start, you start with youth or, and yeah. then, you know, you go on to associate pastor or whatever else. So, yeah. Yeah. You that's know, really interesting. It, it was one of those things. Like I, I remember when somebody asked me, they're like, when are you going to become a real pastor? And I was like, Ouch, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, and they're like, no, no, you know what I mean. Right. And I was like, <laughs> unfortunately do I? I do. But I, I like, I've always loved students and I went in to get my education degree after graduation because I wanted to work with students. And actually even had, had somebody, you know, in leadership here, you know, we're conversing. And of course we had good, good rapport, but I uh, said, you know, at what point, like, like how long can you be a youth pastor for? Like, at what point are you just some old guy that's hanging around with kids? And like, is that weird? <laughs> and the way I looked at it was like, you know, a teacher can grow old and retire in their position teaching students. And so there's no reason that a youth pastor can't do the same, you know, mentor students and hang out with students and have fun and, and enjoy, um, just pouring into that generation, you know, until the day I retire kind of thing. And so, or until God calls me elsewhere. And so, so that's really the kind of the goal. And it's just, just to really pour into this youth ministry and then also pour into other youth pastors and find ways to kind of contribute and give back that way. And hopefully we can get youth pastors to be more consistent because that change, every time you change a youth pastor, it hurts that group of students, mm. you know, and it causes some trust issues and damage and they have to kind of repair and rebuild and, Sometimes it doesn't go well when there's a transition and sometimes it goes great. And, but trying to figure out how to do those transitions well. But in reality, youth ministry, like the hours are terrible and the pay is usually really bad. And the, the scope of the job is so random and so large. Like right now I'm making posters and signs and cutting things out of cardboard and taping things together. And, <laughs> you know, I was changing batteries and thermostats. And, you know, just there's 
X number of things you can think of, and that's youth ministry, and it's kind of all crammed into one, and, you know, you're doing, like, four lessons a week sometimes, and you're like, what is this? This is intense, and so, um, yeah, I mean, maybe someday I'll graduate to a senior pastor job and take it easy, but I think for now, I'm still got some energy in me, and I can work hard, so. That's good. Yeah. You know, I've known you quite a long time. You were my youth pastor all through, like, grade 7 to 12, and I graduated, and now I work with you, which is really cool. It's awesome. Kind of getting to know you in that way. And throughout the time I've known you, you've always been very passionate about things. <laughs> and I love that about you. Then it gets funny because when we were prepping to bring you on to the podcast, I asked, oh, can you just send me like a couple bullet points about about what you would like <laughs> to talk about? And you sent me like three paragraphs about this topic. Um, so would you tell me a little <laughs> bit <laughs> about this latest passion of yours, this idea of of the church's next big fight. Yeah, I think, <laughs> so, sorry about that. I, I, uh, I find it hard sometimes to be concise in these things, but right now, I, like, just in terms of where we're at as a church, and not just Sturgeon Valley, but just globally and what I see, not globally necessarily, but more, you know, Canadian churches and North American churches, is just after two years of what we've gone through, just the the combination of disunity that has grown. Of course, we're all familiar with that, how divided people are on these pandemic issues, and how vicious people have been, mm. you know, intentionally and unintentionally to each other in the church and out of the church. There's no, there's no exceptions there, just because we're trying to be nice to each other. Um, it's been it's been pretty brutal. And then at the same time, you know, you've seen the church band together in pretty amazing ways to stay unified and to move forward. And in our church, we're very fortunate. We've got a lot of wonderful people who have really poured a lot of effort into that area and to, to, to love one another and to maintain unity. But, um, but we're not immune from that effect either. Um, also, after two years of isolation for most people, I think there's so much desire for community and I think the church is in this really unique spot to offer people in the world a place to belong, a place to come and actually like talk to people and to interact on a deeper level after two years of isolation. And um, we've been talking as a church for so many years about how do we get people out of their houses in, in, a, you know, in a neighborhood like this where everybody just kind of stays at home. There's no community centers and... Aside from, you know, joining some sort of league or sports team or extracurricular activity and work, where do you meet people? Like, how do you get people, if you wanted to invite somebody to church, where would you even go to meet a new person to like start up a conversation about Jesus or, you know, faith? And it's just, people just kind of hunker down in their homes. So how do you get people out? And then after two years of isolation, two years of people saying, now you have to stay in your home, even though they pretty much were anyway. Uh, now it's like, well, now you can't go out. Now people want to go out. And I think there's going to be a bit of a, kind of like a, when you think of like, I think of like a slingshot being pulled back or a rubber band being pulled back and just that tension growing. And now I think people are going to kind of flood out of their houses in a bit different of a way or be more willing to come out to things when they're invited Mm. to things because they just, after being told you can't have socialization for two years and now it's like, okay, go ahead. You know, I think people kind of rebound into that. But as a church... You know, I think we have a really unique place to invite people to come meet the body of Christ and meet other people and to build relationships and to engage in serious adult conversations about things. I think that's really cool. But there's so much division in the church right now that what are we inviting them to? Mm. Come join our community that's divided and broken and still angry and bitter um, over some things. And and, because this stuff is still happening, right? It's not like it's over, but... Um, so it's, you know, that's a reality. And then I heard somebody else in our denomination, one of our, uh, denominational, uh, leads, he, he said, you know, we'd be naive to think if we can just cut co- that we can just come out of COVID and just come together and start doing ministry together and just ignore the past two years and what was said and what was done, you know, we'd be naive to not address it, you know, yeah. to not think about it. And so this idea of like that we're, we're disunified, we're in a really unique position to, accomplish some great things right now to provide a place that people really need and people really want. But this conflict we're living in is so brutal 
And it's not the first time that there's conflict around either, but we need to figure out how to love one another in diversity again, like to have diverse opinions and still move forward in unity and still love each other well. Mm. And again, not just, just talking about SVBC, you know, really, but we're not excluded from that. Like we, you know, we've got our own degree of conflict in the church, you know, that, that exists with all of this stuff. And whether it's somebody passive aggressively posting on social media, because they think that's a, you know, well, this won't hurt anybody, but this is the, the truth that I'm going to post. And it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on, you're going to offend somebody. Either you're, you know, you're anti-vaxxer and you don't care about science or you're, you know, on the flip side, you're trying to kill grandma because, you know, this or that. And you, yeah. you, um, you know, you're angry at other people for not holding the same viewpoint and you're blocking them on socials and because you don't want to talk to them anymore or you're leaving the church or you're, but all of these things, they, they hurt us, you know, as a, as a church, when we say things like that and do things like that, it comes with great risk to, to pain one another. And everybody feels so like this is the hill to die on, on some of these things. And, and I, I can't get there. You know, I don't think this is worth shooting at each other for, you know, and dying on this hill to, at, the, at the cost of, of what it's cost already. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and others disagree with me on that too, right? Like, I mean, some people would think I'm not being strong enough in my <laughs> opinions that I, you know, I can't just ride the middle of the <laughs> middle of the fence all the time or anything like that. But, but I just think about, you know, when Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When the world, when we invite people to church, when they see us love one another, that's how they'll know we're Jesus followers, we're followers of the way, is if they see our love for one another. Right? Like that's, that's it. That's what we have to sell. And so when we're divided and we invite people into that division and they're like, oh man, Christians can't even agree with each other on this stuff. And mm. you know, like how am I supposed to come into this versus, so anyway, we, I, I really see that this idea of like, we've got these issues that we can't figure out and we can't agree upon and we got to sort that out. That was a long answer here. <laughs> no, that's good. To the issue. Uh, you know, this is the first time in my life seeing conflict like this uh, within the wider church. You know, you hear about it as as individual churches who who are going through stuff, or there's some scandal, and they kind of fall apart. And and but this is the first time where I've really seen it across the board. This sort of division that has just pervaded everything. Like it's just everywhere. And it seems like you can't have a conversation without sort of these, you know, the elephant in the room coming up, whether we're talking about COVID or politics or, you know, and it's just one thing after the other that's all kind of related, but not really. And like the trucker convoy and that kind of like brought everything back up for people. And, and I'm not excluded for this, you know, like I get easily frustrated often with people I disagree with, but as a Christian, and I've grown up as a Christian, looking at at scripture like you said and Jesus commands us love one another and that's <coughs> excuse me that's sort of like the first thing why do you think it is is this is this just a church issue i mean obviously lots of people are divided about this but why in the church do you think this became such a big issue that it was that mm. people left churches People were angry. People said hurtful things. Like, what was it for Christians, do you think, within this that that changed, you know? Yeah. You know, that's really good. Ironically, I think it it is out of an effort to love people that causes, that, that has caused this conflict. I, I really don't believe there's any, like, bad apples that are, like, just trying to be malicious um, I don't think it's simply pride issues of people trying to be, you know, falsely magnanimous or anything like that. I think it's because, because on one hand, you know, people are like, oh, you need vaccines, you need all of these things in order to be loving people better. And then on the flip side, I mean, and, and of course, there's a spectrum, everybody's all over the place on this. But, you know, on the flip side, you get things like, well, it, we got to speak the truth. We got to look at the data. We got we to examine. And if this is true, we need to share that. That's the most loving thing is to help people live in truth instead of live in a lie and to not be afraid to share that. Mm-hmm. And so I think both sides are trying to love and trying to love in different ways. And, 
And they're just, I mean, this is part, this is part of the reason that we have to have diversity in the church is because we can't just have one of those and not the other, right? Like we have to have both of those opinions and both of those things on all issues, including politics, right? Like these are, you can't just only, like if there was only conservative party or only liberal party, we wouldn't be as good of a country, right? We would be uh, struggling because you need that balance. You need those opposing views to help hold the other side in check. And so you don't, you know, run and trend in one way for too long. And, um, you know, and in the church, I mean, we're the body of Christ. We're diverse. We have different political opinions. We've got different, um, even different theological opinions on the tertiary issues and things like that that are important. And so, you know, COVID's no different. You know, there's all these different opinions and that's good. We should have some type of balance in there. So it's not that people are being jerks that there's division. It's that out of love, they're, they're raising these issues where I think it's a problem is that we're not listening to each other. And we're not actually weighing any value to the other side of things other than what we hold to be true. And I think that's a pretty big cultural issue right now, too. Like we see that across many, many issues of if you don't agree with me, I'm going to cut you off and shut you down. If you, I mean, <laughs> you post on Twitter something, yeah, I mean, you will get shut down if you say certain things and you will get a, a heap load of people just trashing you, trying to pull you down. So I don't post on Twitter, but you could, you know, you see it on other people's posts. They'll post something and they just get hammered on and they either don't care and they keep posting or they stop posting because they don't want to be ripped down all the time. As a church, we have to avoid that. Like we have to be really careful and, and it's not that, and here's the, we're going through the book of Acts with the students right now. And when we hit chapter 15, I saw this moment that I was like, oh, that's a little close to home where they were trying to to have a discussion, Paul and Barnabas are teaching and they're disagreeing on something so vehemently with the group there that they cannot come to an agreement on what the right way forward is. And it was such a big deal that they just simply couldn't resolve it. And they actually had to go to Jerusalem to figure out, like to talk to somebody else about it because they just couldn't answer it on their own. And I thought, wow, an interesting what an interesting moment in scripture that really parallels where we're at now. You know, like it feels like there's, you know, people are not going to come to a conclusion of what the right answer is. Everybody feels like they have the right answer, but, um, you know, like, but we're just leaving church instead of resolving this issue together. And yeah. so I thought there's some really interesting things that scripture speaks to in terms of like, as we watch, how did they deal with this? That I thought were actually really... Um, just pertinent things. I mean, this is one of the great things about scripture too. And um, yeah, and that was, that was really cool. I think, can I share some of those things? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, please. I think that the problem is it feels like we just can't talk about it, right? Because we disagree right. so much about things. And it's like, well, what do we do to start loving each other? Do we just not talk about it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first, yeah, like you're so right. And we have to first approach a conversation with one, maybe a bit of repentance for how we've maybe either purposefully or accidentally hurt other people and say, man, I'm sorry. If I said something in a way that's been hurtful, like I've wanted to engage in this conversation, but, but I didn't mean to actually like tear anybody else down, you know, call you this or call you that in, incidentally. Um, or maybe you did, <laughs> you know, you need to repent from that. And, and so maybe there's a, there's a bit of like understanding our own sinfulness and brokenness, even if we think we're right and saying, I probably hurt people and I'm sorry. If you have that degree of self-awareness and repentance, and you can come into a conversation with a degree of humility and, a, and an idea of like listening, mm. then we can be able to have those conversations. And we have to be able to have those conversations in a way where we don't have to ask for forgiveness after because we've, you know, talked civilly to each other and with love and understanding. And if we, you know, or maybe we're quick, maybe the better way is instead of saying that, it means like we can't make a mistake during a conversation, but maybe being quick to ask for forgiveness in those moments, maybe where we overstep and being aware of other people. And um, because the church should be the place where we have these conversations. We shouldn't shy away from stuff like this. Like you said, like this should be the safe spot. Mm. You know, you should be able to get together with your small group and like hammer through hard stuff politically, socially, spiritually, you know, like whatever it is, you know. And not leave angry. 
Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to say, you know what, I said something and I just got to say, I'm sorry. And, you know, I've had people in my life who just like, we'll have a conversation about something. We'll kind of laugh and joke around and they'll like call me later and be like, I'm so sorry for what I said. I, if that hurt your feelings, like, I'm so sorry. And I just want, like, I didn't even think about it. Like, but I just love that sensitivity of, um, just, and it's not a, it's not a being too sensitive to say things, but it's just being sensitive to others, that empathy that, that, uh, comes out in compassion. I just love that. Like, that's really cool. I'm not like that as much and need to be more so. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, when I, when I see this in scripture, so the issue that happens in, in Acts 15 is Paul and Barnabas are traveling and Paul is, has decided that he's going to preach to the Gentiles instead of just to the Jews. So he still preaches to the Jews, but now he's going to go preach to the Gentiles. And one of the things there that he's convinced of, and we read through the book of Romans, he builds the case, and through Galatians, he builds the case there. And he wants to con- t- like to share the gospel with the Gentiles, but he's saying like they don't have to follow the law, because the law of Moses, which if you're not familiar, is like the, f- the first five books are the, um, the Torah, and there's like 618, 19 laws in there that pertain. So that's the Ten Commandments and dietary laws and and civil laws, all these different things make up the law. And he says that law never saves anybody. It's not meant to save anybody. And therefore, a Gentile does not have to follow the law because it's not going not gonna to lead to salvation. So that's not going to save you. So the law is not important in that way. It's important in its own way, but not that way. And he says, now we follow the new way of Christ or the law of Christ and, or the new way of the spirit or the law of Christ. And, and so, which is to love God and to love others. And so, you know, we do a lot of the old Testament laws still like the 10 commandments, like we do those things because they're loving God and loving others, but you know, but we're not following the law of Moses. We're following the law of Christ. And so Acts 15, he's, you know, in this conversation with a bunch of Jewish people who find the law binding and super important, you know, and they're trying to say as a Gentile, if you want to follow Christ, this God of Abraham, then you have to circumcise your kids. You know, you have to be circumcised yourself and you have to follow the law of Moses. You have to worry about what you're eating and all of these things. And, and Paul's saying, Paul and Barnabas are like, no, that's, they don't have to follow those laws. That's like for the Jews in a time and a place, but that's not Christians, you know, not followers of the way because of the, the changes. And, and they can't agree. And they just like, they can't convince this group that that's the case. And the other group is, is got their heels dug in and they can't convince Paul and Barnabas otherwise. And so what I see them, they, they do a couple of things. So they, one, they travel to Jerusalem and that's a big deal because they didn't have cars or anything or planes. So they had to like walk. They visit a bunch of places along the way and they send people from both sides of the argument, so to speak. So there's, you know, Paul and Barnabas and a couple of others that agree with them. And then there's some from the other side that agree with them. And they send this whole group to get an answer. And I can't imagine how, like, what that would be like or how long it would take and, you know, the, the challenges that would exist. But they went and sought authority from those who would know, which in this case, because they didn't have the Bible, they just simply went to the apostles because that's all they knew. So they went back to Jerusalem to talk to that authority. They had to work for the answer. They had went on this long journey together to get there. And they went together. It's not that one side went, oh, I'm going to go ask the, the boss and find out and tell you what's really right. Uh, they went together. And so then once they get there, they basically submit to that answer. Like, what, what is the answer here? And the answer is something that none of them were probably happy with because it was a compromise. And which is really interesting too. And so, um, so basically they... They do these, these, so basically what, they, what they're told when they arrive there, uh, they're, they share all the things, all the arguments, there's lots of discussion there. And basically they said, well, here's the deal. For Gentiles who are becoming Christians, we're going write to write a letter. You can take the letter. We're going to send you some people to also communicate the letter to verify that it's not, you didn't just write it kind of thing. So we're going to send people with you to verify that. And here's the thing. We'll pick four laws and you obey those four laws. So the four laws were abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, abstain from eating, uh, uh, handling blood, and abstain from food that's been strangled, and abstain from sexual immorality. So they, they picked four laws of Moses, and they said, tell Gentiles to, to obey these things, but you're right, the law is not important for salvation. So it's like, not important for salvation, but still obey these four things. 
And you go, well, wait, if it's not important for salvation, why were they told, like, who cares about meat that's been strangled or touching blood and, you know, like sexual immorality we get and no idols, we get that one, but like, but why the other two? And, and it just sort of seems like, feels weird. But the reason that they were given those is because the greater mandate of living in Christ is to love one another. And sometimes that means, you know, limiting your freedoms so that you can love other people well. So by following these four laws, that was going to put them in a better place to be in a better relationship with the Jews who were observing those laws already. So it's like a compromise that's going to allow for better relationships and allow for people to love one another. So it's a gesture of of, of love, mm-hmm. so that they communicate the truth, so that they can communicate the truth that the law is not salvation. So it's this really really interesting thing. But we see those four things they do: they seek authority, right? In this case, God's word. Uh, they seek, or so they have to work for the answer. They go on that long journey. They find the answer together, and then they agree to whatever compromises for the grand, grander unity of the group, uh, which is brilliant. And so, like, like our goal is to bring glory to God, not to be right on these things or not to hold or exercise a certain point of view. It's to bring glory to God. It's to love one another and to love God with everything we are and have. So we're just reminded in that, that just because you can do something, doesn't mean that you should do something. You know, and, and we look at the COVID situation, all sides of COVID discussion feel that they're right because this is what we do, right? Like we feel, every time I, like every opinion I hold, I hold for a reason and I think I'm right on it. And everybody's like that. And so we have to understand that that there's more than one aspect to a conversation. These things are complicated, um, and that we don't need to divide over those tertiary kind of issues. And, and to move forward, it takes great humility and combined with a resolute focus on Christ. Otherwise, we're not going to get very far. Do you think that there is a compromise <clears throat> on some of these issues that, that have been so prevalent the last two years? Things like, like COVID and the mask mandates and, and how that's affected the church. And like you said, both sides feel like they're right. Um, so what do we do? How do we compromise? We don't have apostles to go and ask, and every pastor has their own opinion too. And yeah. so where do we go? What do we do? That's a really good question. I think, I mean, obviously I don't know the answer to like, to the COVID stuff in terms of like what the um, the, the final right answer is on any of this stuff. But I think it's important to um, to look at how do we live in such a way where we're not tearing down other people, mm-hmm. like where we're not ripping into other people, because that's our ultimate mandate, right? Is to love God with everything we are and to love others. So if COVID, you know, I'm not saying this, but if COVID was a hoax <laughs> and not actually real and just some sort of big government conspiracy and, and like the extreme of extremes of the opinions of COVID, and I didn't know that, and I wear a mask everywhere, so what if you don't agree? Like, who cares, ultimately? What should you be caring about? Not the fact that I have a mask on, you know, and that I don't understand the truth. You shouldn't tear me down to get the truth down my, my, my throat. And on the flip side, you know, if I, you know, have been told and read that, you know, all this information, and I really sincerely feel that it's not, it's, it's not really a big deal if I take my mask off, you know, how about instead of, like, telling somebody they're a murderer walking a murderer walking around with no mask, you know, instead of ripping them down, find a way to love them differently. Hmm. I was told a story, I don't know if, I don't have permission to share this, but so I won't say who it was, but somebody shared with me um, a moment early on in the pandemic when everything was blowing up. And they said it was just in that period where everything was unknown it was kind of scary. People were in masks. Like every, by this point, people were like wearing masks everywhere and everybody was afraid to like go near other people and touch other people or anything like that. And we're told to not, you know, have any contact with other people. And like, what a weird time that was. I don't know if you can remember like that intensity, right? Like, of course we can. But so this, she's living in that moment. She comes out of the grocery store, the, the TNT and, and sees this young girl in her 20s, she said, carrying multiple heavy bags. Whatever was in the bags was really quite heavy and she was really struggling. She'd walk a few steps, put the bags down and shake off her hands and like rub her hands to pick up the bags again. And it's kind of making her way from the tails out the door. And 
And this person saw this other person struggling and she had this moment of wrestling of like, normally I would just help this person with their bags, but I'm not supposed to go near people. I'm not supposed to touch the things they're touching or, you know, have any contact with them. And, you know, you're wearing masks, you're supposed to keep six feet and all this stuff. And this particular person, uh, you know, has reasons like health reasons and other people in their life that reasons that they should uh, be taking these things seriously if there is a threat. And so, um, you know, like you're, you're the target demographic, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so you go, okay, so I, I'm at risk if I put myself there and, and we don't know what's going on. And she wrestled with this decision. Do I help this person or do I maintain the safety and the boundaries and all that stuff? She ended up helping this person to the car and the girl was super thankful. And But this person told me that story and it was just, you know, she wasn't being magnanimous about it, but she, she shares this with me. And I thought about it and I thought, that's, that's actually pretty incredible when you think about it. Because in that moment, that person was risking their life to help a stranger. I mean, whether or not the risk was real is kind of irrelevant. This person thought the risk was real and still risked her life to help another human carry some bags. That's pretty incredible. When was the last time any of us risked our lives to help somebody? Like actually put your life on the line where you could die, but you did it to help somebody. Probably never. <laughs> like maybe, maybe sometimes, right? Like there's maybe, maybe some situations where that's the case, but but very rare do we actually get an opportunity to put our life on the line for other people. So that's pretty cool, you know, for somebody to go, I believe this thing is a threat and I'm still going to love people over top of that. I'm going to push past that and still love people because that's more important. And on the flip side, I mean, there's, there's other things. I mean, just like, you know, I, I still wear a mask in group gatherings because, you know, we, we, have, we have medical reasons to do that at the time being. And, uh, and so I'm still wearing a mask, like a youth group, but most of the youth don't wear masks. But when I'm wearing a mask and a kid comes into youth group and they're wearing a mask, I bet that feels much better to that student Hmm. to see me wearing a mask. And I had the thought, you know, even if I wasn't going to wear a mask, like even if it was like, okay, I'm going to take off my mask too, it'd probably be a pretty smart idea for me to wear a mask just to build solidarity with the kids who come to youth group and their parents are like, you have to wear a mask. And that kid, whether or not they agree, they go, mom, nobody else is wearing a mask. And, but for them to show up and other people are wearing a mask just out of love, you know, to make that person feel comfortable and to feel loved, that, like that might be a good decision at times too. Just because I have freedom to take off my mask maybe doesn't mean that's always the right decision. It's like kind of like this law thing. Even though I have freedom from the law, maybe there's times where I have to live underneath it in order to love people. And in our world and our culture, we're so quick to be like, no, I've got freedom from that. I don't need it anymore. You can't make me. And it's like, well, man, maybe you should put that back on yourself. Maybe you should put that, that not the mask, but the, the weight of that on yourself again. Like, yeah. um, yes, you may have freedom, but maybe you don't exercise that freedom. And maybe you don't shout it from the rafters or tear other people down who don't live with that freedom as well. I mean, that's all the, I mean, the book of Romans is like <laughs> the second half of that is all about this, you know, like, so, um, that's pretty, it's pretty profound. Um, I think the, the things that I've seen that we need to avoid, like the plague, um, it's funny, I wrote these down and then I was like, where, where have I heard those before? Um, tearing others down, having contempt for other people, stonewalling other people, like cutting them out of your life or having a huge degree of defensiveness when, when challenged about it, you almost lash back or ignore. Um, those four things, tearing people down, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness. Uh, we have to avoid those things like the plague in mm-hmm. the church. Those are so destructive. And um, <laughs> they're actually, they resemble the, uh, the what they call John Gottman, a marriage expert, calls them uh, the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse when it comes to people <laughs> who are married. They're like, if you see those things in your, in your marriage, your marriage is in trouble. So... Um, they, this is like, like couples who get divorced struggle with these four things or one of them or multiple of them. So tearing others down, contempt, stonewalling and defensiveness is, is something we have to avoid. And so rather than just ignoring the discussion or hiding from it, like you said, like we have to instead just really focus on relationships. So it's not an us and them mentality. Like, like here in our church, we have people from both sides, like all the whole spectrum of this thing. 
uh, you know, the ones that haven't left already, right? And so we've got some who feel the need to go somewhere else. That's fine. Uh, but the ones that are here, we've got still got a representative of the entire spectrum. And we have to focus on not us and them mentality because it's not us and them. We're the body of Christ. If people leave, that hurts us. That's like cutting off your arm. Like it's damaging when people leave because we're a body. We're the body of Christ and everybody matters who's here. And we win or lose together as the body of Christ. So we have to have a degree of solidarity as we approach COVID and and coming out of this with unity. Because if we can't agree, like that's a problem for everybody, not Mm -hmm. just a problem for the people who can't get over it or whatever. So we have to figure out how do we come out of this together. And that takes way more work. And that takes way more effort. And it takes, you know, direct interactions, not avoidance. It takes people turning towards people and just sincerely listening to other people and having a do like that, like the act of listening. Um, like I said, learning to discuss without needing to ask for forgiveness after being quick to ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and then remembering the mission like our long-term goal of like, we're here to glorify God and to bring glory to God in everything we do. And we're on mission to spread the gospel to anybody who will, uh, who will uh, hear it, right? And so we have to be ready to make necessary changes in our life to allow for people with different opinions around us mm-hmm. and to figure out what that looks like. And for everybody, it's going to be different. Everybody's in a different spot. Some people are doing this fabulously. Like some, many, many people are are like, yeah, let's go. Like so many people are in the middle of the road and probably less people on the extremes. Um, And it's okay to be on the extremes, but we just have to be okay to do life together and figure that out together in a a way that's in solidarity as opposed to divisive. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about like a change in mindset about all the issues, you know? So it's not, the issue isn't really about masking or it shouldn't be in the church, even though that's, the thing we all disagree about maybe and and like I probably have different opinions than someone else in our church and and we might never agree on that issue it's deeper than that yeah right yeah yeah and, and masking is just the issue of the month yeah right? that's like, just the one that's pre- prevalent you know before COVID it was other it's other things it's like you know how's the worship style and is it you know did we did we do some things a certain way and what's the carpet look like and you know, who's doing this aspect and who put those flowers, you know, chose those flowers design or, you know, like whatever it is, or the lights are too dim or, you know, or there's not enough events or the youth group is too rowdy or like whatever the issue of the month is, you know, these same principles apply. This is not, this is not new, right? Like here we are, Acts 15, they're struggling with theology. They're struggling with this, you know, particular thing and they cannot agree. Like it's a, it's a deadlock. They can't figure it out. And they eventually go and they, they get a plan to move forward, but they still have to go back and love one another. And that only goes so well, to be fair. Like, it's not like this is just going to go away if we all agree to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's like the conflict is still always there and we still have to wrestle with that on a regular basis. And, and we still have to wrestle with our own judgmental attitudes towards people we dis- disagree with. And we have to, you know, constantly wrestle with that and find ways around that because, I mean, for Paul, it didn't go well. You know, the next time he visited Jerusalem, a bunch of Jewish people who, you know, blamed him for, you know, throwing out the law, grabbed him and started beating him because they were like, ah, down with that guy. And, and he was like trying to follow the law at the time, you know, he was trying to like blend in by taking the Nazarite vow with a bunch of guys. And they were like, well, we're, as soon as, as soon as your Nazarite vows are over, we're coming for you. And or the purification was over. And so they, you know, it, it doesn't always go well, but that's the attitude at least mm. we can go and. As Christians, and I don't say any of this to be in a condemning way because I'm just, I'm in this too, like <laughs> you know, traveling this road as well. But so I'm, I'm not better in any of this. But I think the thing we have to remember is it's not about living a perfect Christian life. It's not about doing everything right the first time. It's about what we do after we make a mistake, right? So the Christian life is all about redemption and forgiveness and restoration Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could have new life, right? Like so that we can be forgiven from those for those things in the long term. But in the short term, we still struggle as sinners, you know, and we still make mistakes as a church. And people outside the church might look at us and go, oh, look at you. You guys still are just as bad as the rest of us. And it's like, well, 
yeah, we still struggle, but it's what we do after that. You know, are we quick to ask for forgiveness? Are we seeking restitution of relationships? Are we seeking seeking unity and wholeness together and trying to love one another um, despite making mistakes? So through all this COVID stuff, yeah, we've all made a bunch of mistakes. We've all said dumb things and held opinions that are probably not true at certain points, you know, and across the board. And so we just have to go, okay, I need a degree of humility. I need to listen when somebody is talking, you know, and wrestle with what they're saying as opposed to just dis- being dismissive of it or stonewalling them or deleting them off my my friend list. <laughs> and we move forward. I think, um, I think the... It's also important to remember, like, love has not been lost through this time. Like, there's been so many people who have done this really well and continue to wrestle with this. And there are so many people who have taken action with love and actually are putting effort into these things that are working harder than ever to make sure people feel supported in with their needs and job loss and, and people with their friendships. And I remember the driveway visits were awesome, you know, for people. And remember those, like when people had a birthday, people would do like the, the drive-by and people did that for my birthday. It was just, it was such a lovely time. COVID has been such a really great time for that. We've got, uh, you know, a wonderful kitchen ministry that's amazing, meal support. People are writing encouragement letters and things. We've got more digital communication for the in-between moments of support for mental health and, and building relationships there. Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. I think, um, you know, more than ever, we've seen this this great love expressed, the love of Christ expressed to, to people. And that's so, so cool. So not saying any of this to be a, uh, you know, like, oh, big finger wag, like we need to do better. But but while we do need some sort of reconciliation and, you know, and finding ways to heal the wounds that have been caused, we can't just ignore it. We have to kind of move forward in that way. And like we've talked, you know, maybe doing a, a reconciliation service of some sort, you know, at some point in the future, once people are back in the building and in uh, feeling comfortable to come back, but just a time where we can just confess to each other and genuinely apologize and ask for forgiveness while having an open heart to forgive others. And I think maybe that's our next step that we can take in loving our neighbor as we look at moving forward in solidarity together, finding unity in Christ with Christ as our focus, not politics or COVID or anything else, just Christ. What would you say to people who've been deeply hurt through this time? Because there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of things said. And even me, like, I wouldn't say that I've been deeply hurt by anything but even just thinking about talking about some of these things like I, I my hackles raise and I'm like mm-hmm. it, like it, it upsets me even to think about having some of these discussions so even more so for the people who feel really deeply hurt like yeah. what what do we do how do we reconcile even if you can't speak with those people who maybe hurt you I think every situation is going to be unique in that because of what happened and who said what and how close that what person was to you. I think um, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, like as an indiv- if, it, if as an individual you've been hurt, you know, keeping your eyes focused on Christ, some stuff we have to let go, like some stuff we... Not just totally forget about it, but um, we sometimes make a mountain out of a molehill kind of thing um, over some issues that really don't matter. And, and so we have to separate those things. Um, and then uh, just like Matthew 18, like go to your brother who's hurt you and have a conversation and say, so I know we've talked about these things in the past. And there was a thing you said and you didn't mean to hurt me, and I really think you're speaking out of love, like have a degree of empathy for that person. But but when you said these things, it made me feel this way. And I just have been struggling to not let that hurt me, but it is hurting me. And I need to let you know that. And I think by just having that kind of conversation, imagine the freedom that would give you. Even if, regardless of how the person responds, if they're like, oh, you're too sensitive or uh, anything like that, you know, regardless of how they act, you're free, right? It's that whole thing when people say, oh, you should forgive somebody and then you're free from that weight. It's not necessarily about you forgiving somebody that that 
lift, lift your weight. It's that just getting it off and, and putting yourself out there to say, I don't want to hold this anymore. And I'm letting you know that this, this hurt. And then their response as Christians should be one of repentance, right? That's the, that's the goal. And then in turn, forgiveness should happen, right? And how many times do we do that? infinite, right? Like the seven times, 77 times, right? That we forgive our brother for the, for the same mistakes. So, um, that conversation has to happen, but that's a easy thing for me to sit here and say, but it's a hard thing to bring up. It's a hard thing to like start that kind of confrontation. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to, when you're in that, to say it in a graceful way. That's not just like tearing down another human being like, Oh, by the way, you're a big fat jerk. And I don't like what you said. And, you know, you're a big media and you should say sorry. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not the goal to, like, put somebody else in their place. The goal is to share how you feel and to say, like, this hurt me, the thing you did or said to me. And the person who loves you, in theory, as Christians, we love each other and brothers and sisters in Christ, and they should have a, a heart of repentance. Like, oh, my goodness. When I said that, I did not mean, you know, that you actually are this kind of person or... You know they're gonna they're gonna try to take that back and backpedal and and try to sort that out and and there doesn't have to be like a, a formal like oh I'm so sorry and will you forgive me and yes I will forgive you like that's <laughs> that's not what the goal of conversation right the conversation is is to build understanding between two parties and stuff and so we can have those conversations we can <laughs> ignore them we can uh, um, you know but I think it's it's just important to not shy away from those issues but maybe some people do need to shy away maybe some people do need to cool it (laughs) and calm down and not uh, panic too much when it's like when somebody says something they disagree with you know people are like that hurts me and we you know some stuff we just gotta like agree to disagree and keep moving forward and that's fine too right like if you're like i don't want to talk about this stuff anymore because ultimately these things don't matter to the mission at this point in time, maybe they will at some point, like you're going to go on a mission trip together. Do we wear masks or not wear masks? Let's have a big discussion and debate about that. But, you know, if you're not in that place of having that kind of um, level of discussion or needing to kind of sort something like that out, uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's time to just avoid that for now and to not worry about it and, and move forward. But I don't know. Yeah. Like, but to your question again, like just I think it's really complicated and it really depends on who it is. And, and uh, sometimes it's uh, love. There's a proverb that says love covers a multitude of sins. And I think sometimes what that means in, in practice is that our love for one another lets people say things that are hurtful to you and your love kind of just covers that. And you don't necessarily need an apology formally or anything for those things that have been said because love kind of covers that. Just like having a kid and your kid does or says some, something that's mean or rude to you as a, as a human. And you're like, that was really mean. You know, like sometimes you're like, you need to sort that out to get your kid to apologize to you for that, just to teach them how to apologize. But there's other times that it's like, I know your heart in that, you know, I know you're not actually like, you know, like if you're fight, like I, I, I picture a, a teenager who's going out with their friends or something and, and comes back past curfew and, <laughs> hypothetical scenario, you know, like the, that I may or may not have lived through as a teenager. But, you know, you get back past curfew and you have an argument with your parents and you say things you don't mean in that moment. And there's a lot of things said. The parents can't possibly correct you on every single thing. And they kind of go, well, there's going to be a lot of love covering this conversation and a lot of forgiveness that happens that doesn't necessarily need that direct conversation to take place and, you know, sort of the thing. So I kind of, there's probably a lot of that stuff too. I suppose that's grace. It's becoming yeah. more Christ-like. Mercy and grace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we can't lose if we live that way. If we live with grace towards each other, like, that's, it, it's going to be so good, you know? And yeah, that's a good, good, good word. I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for, for the future of Sturgeon Valley, but also of, of our wider church and coming out of this and, you know, I think that God is is going to use this. I, I hope and I, I believe that he's going to use this to to change us. Yeah. To be more like him. It's it's going to be incredible. And we have to be ready for that. You know, like I said, there's like this tension that's been building 
in the world. And as we come out of the restrictions, that's going to release a bunch and people are going to feel more comfortable gathering over the next, and, and probably for the next few years as people kind of learn to readjust and to, not readjust, to adjust to a new normal. You know, we have to be prepared as the church to respond in a way that's actually going to connect with culture where we're at, which I think is, is you know, community is going to, I think, be a big thing because, you know, we've realized it's like that you don't know what you want until you're told you can't have it, right? You're like, take it for granted. And then you're like, oh, you can't have this kind of, this kind of friendship, fellowship, community, you know, contact. And, and now we can have it again, I think. But as a church, we need to be aware of that. And so the ministries we choose to do as we rebuild what we're doing and choose specifically what we're doing, you know, do we do something that just feeds internally? Uh, that's going to be important for unity. You know, we're going to choose ministries that build unity specifically, build the sense of family that we have. And then when we go out of the doors or we do things that are inviting to others, we have to think specifically about what are the needs of people? Is this going to build their sense of community as well? Are we going to have a place where they come and they see exactly the, you know, the words of, words of Jesus there? By all people will know, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to create places where people can come and see that love for one another. Mm which means we have to be together and loving one another <laughs> for them to come see it and doing it in a way that can be seen. Yeah. Which is not from our homes, right? This is coming together in different ways. And, you know, whether that's inclusive of I'm, the online situation is going to be a whole, like, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast yeah. we use on, like, how we should be using online next tools. Next time, next time. But yeah, like, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever ministry looks like, this love for one another has to be visible and we have to invite people to see that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> uh, well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for coming in to talk about this, yeah, about our our big fight, which is not fighting with each other, but is fighting for unity. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fight for unity. Yeah. Really. Like, and not fight like battle, but fight like, like as if your marriage was breaking down and you're like going to fight for your spouse, like to bring them you know, to, to connect with them in a deeper way. And like, we have to fight for each other and like not let this cause a rift. For each other, not against each other. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. And I hope that we will talk again soon about some more of these things. Yeah, thank you. From the Valley is a Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church production. Subscribe to the podcast and be sure to join us in person or online every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our worship service. Details can be found at www.svbc.ab.ca. I'm Kaylin Ham. Thanks for listening.